Let me tell you a story, podcast number 122. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago, age never mind it is a truth how long we You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Our guest today, Richard Madison, has trained people in the United States, India, South America, and Australia. His work experience includes business, church leadership, nonprofit organizations, and teaching positions. He believes the best way to develop leaders is with clarity, possibility, and action. His purpose is to encourage, teach, and challenge others. For five years, he wrote a monthly column in the Portland Family Magazine titled Beginning Again for Divorced Individuals and Single Parents. He has also contributed chapters in three books about singles ministry and has written four booklets to encourage those dealing with divorce, separation, and beginning again, plus how to create a healthy blended family. Richard's education includes several degrees, his work toward a doctorate in counseling, and many, many hours in personal coaching experience and training. Welcome, Rich. To add to your extensive bio, I'd like to say Becky and I met you in Denver years ago when we were all in college together. I think you were a couple of years ahead of us. You've been a busy guy since those days. I think you guys were a little bit behind, but that's okay. We all And then we just went out into the real world, and we all know <laughs> that that works really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that happens. <laughs> you know, I think college was a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was not the real. It wasn't a, a reality of life, but it was a lot of fun. So that. Yeah. Thanks for sending us copies of some of the material you've written. We'd like to focus today on the topic of divorce, though. It's a painful topic, but one that affects people in all walks of life and in many ways. I'll start by asking how a couple can prevent divorce. We could spend a, the entire podcast, I know, but. Uh, do you have two or three suggestions to help divorce-proof a marriage? Well, I think uh, the first thing I would say is that if you let divorce come into your thought process, you eliminate a lot of other possibilities because it seems so simple and so painless. And it ends up being the most painful and the hardest thing to go through. And beyond that, it has uh, ripple effects on generations to come, uh, not just that generation that your or, or your children are in, but even further than that. So that's the first thing I'd say. Once you enter into the thought process of divorce, and basically I'm saying most counselors just help people come to a more realization that that's what they want, or they help them work out the details rather than try to eliminate it because it's already in their, their thought process. So it, it's basically a done deal at that point. So the second thing is, and this is just something that I've heard many times and that I really believe that husbands and wives need to pray together and they need to be open and transparent with their feelings and work through them 
instead of work against them or work to find someone who is. The danger as far as a woman is concerned is that the largest percentage of single parents are women that do not remarry because of the hurt or because of the fear of what that's going to produce for them. They don't want another second divorce. But a man operates totally differently. And a lot of men go into a second marriage just replacing the wife that they had before. They address a little bit differently and that's really dangerous. Uh, the whole thing is dangerous, but uh, that's what I'd say first. Don't let it enter your mind and realize it's the most harmful thing that you're going to do to yourself and to your children and possibly grandchildren. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting, the differences between men and women. <laughs> right. Um, and scary, like you said. So also, thank you for the um, encouragement for those of us who are married, how we can stay married. A, a couple suggestions. If a couple just can't get past their differences and they go ahead and separate, what advice do you have for that separation period? Again, you've written a booklet on the topic, but we can't, we don't have time to talk in depth about separation. What aspects would you like our listeners to focus on? Let me respond and just say that divorce is a dangerous time for individuals, both the men and women. Uh, the first thing is, I would say that they both need to keep wearing their wedding ring. And uh, if they need to go to a singles group or they feel that they should go be a part of some kind of a connection, if they're uh, with a group of other couples, somehow they need to get connected, stay connected to people who can care about them, not tell them what to do, but care about them because God's more interested in that than anything else at the moment. The second thing is to recognize what happens in a lot of singles groups. There are men who are looking for someone to take the place of the wife that left them if they are divorced. And so <laughs> they're, I, I call them sharks. And so they're looking for a pretty face or a girl that connects with them. So it's real easy in that point when you're stepping away from someone that you just can't really seem to get connection to as you were married and now you're uh, seeking that it's not going to work so you're separating out and then to walk into a group and some person begins to talk to you and you think oh wow they're they're just great and all that very dangerous because there are a lot of sharks out there and that's not a good place to be when you're vulnerable and looking for somebody to help you or care for you or love you so those are some a uh, couple things it's so wearing your wedding ring, making people know that you are separated and that you're not dating. It's not, that's not the time to be dating. You're not out finished with your marriage. Uh, uh, so those two things are very important. And then to keep, ex keep working with people that you know and care about you that can, that can hold you accountable to those, that kind of a lifestyle until whatever is finished is finished, whether you reconcile which is another thing people don't think about. They think separation is the first step to divorce. But it also can be a time where you both work out your individual problems that might have contributed to the, to the separation and come back together and make an agreement and move forward. And I say in all of that, I think whatever their spiritual journey has been, the most important thing for them to do is to consider Christ in their life 
and to consider that he is absolutely the one who can care for them and shepherd them and to depend on him as a part of the Trinity, the Godhead, that all three of them are key ingredients to living a life that will be glorifying to him and also to them. So they're not making mistakes that drives them deeper into a, a situation of pain in their life. Like any loss, divorce has stages. Can you talk us through what they are and how they all work? Well, divorce is a grieving process. So there is a, what I call the smile chart, and basically it's just a, a U, and I got some paper rattling just to make sure that I don't mess it up. But um, it all starts because of a crisis, and I remember the moment at which my wife sat me down at the table and said she wanted a divorce and that she was going to leave the house and move into an apartment. And I was just shocked because I thought we could work it out. And that was my attitude to, to work it out. So there was a disbelief. There was a denial that it was even really happening. But when I walked in the house and half the furniture was gone, it was pretty obvious that it was taking place. So that begins the crisis, and that's the way we, we start it. And then we go into this anger mode, which is very dangerous. There are two parts that can really mess you up in the grieving process, and that is holding on to your anger, and then later on being in a depressed state. Uh, lots of bad things happen in relationship to those two times. But that anger, some of it is inside fear, and other is just, how could a person reject me in all that I've tried to do or whatever? I mean, you start talking, and, and obviously you're always the good person in the situation. So that anger turns into bargaining, where you might even bargain with that person and say, well, if you'll do this, I'll do this. And bargaining never works because people can't keep a bargain. So that moves you further into the point, and I call it the bottom, bottom out area where you're actually depressed. And at that point, you need somebody to help you get perspective. A lot of counselors are available, just have to find one that's a real counselor. And I say that in the sense that a lot of people get a counseling degree, but that doesn't necessarily make them good counselors. So that it's very important. And then if you do, as you move through divorce, uh, I went through it, I came to a point where I needed to, uh, I had a couple friends and we all had been through a divorce and so we went to a divorce recovery. And what that did was gave me perspective, it allowed me to listen to other people and find out that there were other people that were doing or feeling the same way I felt. And that meant that I was not doing anything unusual, I was going through a natural process, which is the grieving process. And out of there, what you're really wanting to do is come to the point where you accept that this is happening. The reality strikes you, you're no longer uh, battling against it in a sense, and then you can move to a point where you have to deal with what was my part in this, what was their part in this, and come to a point where you can ask forgiveness for your part. And I know that's I've had 700 people in divorce recovery that have spoken to me and a lot of them have said, you know, that's really difficult if you were in an abusive relationship to ask forgiveness. 
And I'm not necessarily talking about those people, but I'm talking about people who are not in that kind of a relationship because there's a lot more that has to go on for someone who's been in an abusive relationship to resolve the issues that they have with that person. But forgiveness is absolutely essential to moving on. And if you don't get it, you don't move on and you spin around back to anger and you spin around back to depression. If you do get forgiveness, and I remember the day that I wrote a couple paragraphs of what I wanted to say to my ex-wife, I called her on the phone and I said, I just want you to listen to this and don't respond till we get to the end. She had no forewarning of this and that I had been thinking about it for several weeks and written something which I thought was definitive. I read it to her and I said, will you forgive me? And really at that point, it doesn't matter what the answer was, yes, no, or maybe let me think about it because you're hitting me blind. It was just the fact that I got it out and I asked for forgiveness on what I felt was my part in the situation that led to divorce. When that was done, she did say yes. And I kind of waited there for a minute to say, oh, are you gonna ask me for forgiveness? And she didn't. That was March, but back in December of that same year, she came back and did the same kind of call I did. And that resolved the issue for us for life, that we had both made mistakes and that she uh, was asking forgiveness as much as me. After you resolve the issue of forgiveness, then the light goes on, the sun comes up, and you can begin to move on to a new future, a new lifestyle, and a new way of life. Now, there's a lot of dangers out there, which we've already talked about for separated people, but the same thing for divorced people. And the dangerous thing is that most divorced people remarry within two to three years. Well, how long does it take the divorce process to kind of remove itself from your life? five to seven years oh, wow. Those are regular statistics so you can see why the divorce rate in a second marriage is higher than the divorce rate in a first marriage because people don't resolve their issues first and take a little time i was uh, single for five and a half years and before uh, a miracle took place in my life but that's one of the reasons for that higher divorce rate is because they don't resolve the issues completely. They jump into a new marriage and then <laughs> we're, you know, we're all guilty of having problems within our own si uh, self <laughs> and that they just carry in, all those carry in because they've never been resolved. So that's the process. It's a grieving line for hurting people. And uh, the same thing happens for those who have had someone pass, die, but it's effective if it's worked through. What do you have to say to couples as to how to help their children as their parents go through the process? Well, both parents need to love on the children and be present in their life, no matter what their personal situation is. And that becomes difficult in some senses because of abuse but that's the first thing and then they need to continue to reaffirm to their children that this had nothing to do with you it's not you're not the blame for your parents divorce uh, and that needs to be continually said to them because that is played over and over and uh, 
when they start going to school and start talking to other kids and they say, yeah, I'm divorced, uh, my parents are divorced too, then they start creating a story that involves other families and things like that. And it, and it basically puts them back in the blame game, that they're the blame. And then the other thing is that they should not uh, play their children against their spouse. You know, when the child goes over to the father's house, the child does not have to report to the mother when he comes home or the even if the opposite takes place. What's going on with her? What's going on with him? What are they doing? I can't believe he bought a new car. What? You know, they just need to say they had a great time with their parent and leave it at that. Um, otherwise, it begins the Family Bureau of Investigation and, and they're using their child as the agent and it's not a good uh, situation at all. So those would be uh, stay in their life, don't use their child against them and uh, stay connected. The other thing I would say is that um, there are all kinds of things you can do with children. You just need to make sure that you don't become the best daddy they ever had or the best mommy they ever had after their parents are divorced in the sense that you be you know the the person who is living with the child or the child is living with the one parent and then the dad or the mom sweep in and they take them to amusement parks and take them to swimming places and they they live a incredible life for the 48 hours they have the child and then they take them back to their the other spouse and that leaves a real problem <laughs> in these kids mind about who's the best one and man i always have more fun over there and so they are competing for the child's affection, which they don't have to. The child logically and normally wants to love both parents. So those are what I would encourage them to do. Going back to the forgiveness part, in your counseling, do you find people who say, I didn't do anything wrong? Yes, I do. And I said that for a while myself. And I think you have to come to the point to believe that it takes two to tango and that you had some uh, responsibility in relationship to your commitment to your wife or your husband. So I have never found in the 700 and plus people that I've talked to that somebody was totally innocent. I just don't think it's even a possibility and that one person was completely a hundred percent responsible when you think that way you don't resolve any issue that you really had and hasn't been resolved and you take that into your next marriage well just the fact that we're human beings <laughs> should uh, tell us that none of us are perfect but when we're emotionally upset and hurt it's real easy to think that I'm right and he's wrong, which, you know, of course, is usually the case at our house. Wait a minute, I'm right and you're wrong. Exactly, right. It's better to take the humbling position to say, what is it I did wrong? And may, that may me, need a counselor or somebody to kind of work that through with you. Uh, some of that really pops up in divorce recovery because uh, the way we did it, we had a lesson and then we broke into small groups around tables in different rooms. So there was a confidentiality about what you said among your group and they were not supposed to take it out from there. 
And when you hear someone say something that you would have said, and you look at their whole experience and say, well, that's that doesn't really ring true, then you begin to think about your situation and is it really ringing true to other people what I'm telling them because I, I have to be in some ways responsible. Mm. So it's good not to isolate ourselves and pull back like we do when we're wounded. Yes. But it, it helps to expose ourselves, reach out to counselors and recovery groups. About the beginning again stage, or starting over, my guess is a newly divorced person can encounter all kinds of potholes on the road to recovery. What are some of the challenges? Well, I think we still go back to those two things, uh, releasing your anger, because anger is a secondary emotion. It's not really what's happening. You are uh, have been rejected, therefore you are angry, which makes it the secondary response or the you know, secondary response. The real problem you're dealing with is rejection or hurt or some other issue that exhibits itself as anger. So dealing with that is really key to moving forward because I have been in situations where I've seen somebody who's come, who's gone through a divorce and they are either totally depressed or totally angry and they're no fun to be around. Uh, so, you know, that those things need to be taken care of. And the second thing is you have to look at life as a long journey. And this is a portion of that. And you are kind of toward the end of it. It's like climbing one of the Rockies in Colorado. You get to a point where you are even above the tree line and you can see better. And at night you can see all the stars. You can see uh, things that we've put up in this outer space going around and coming through and it's you get a clearer picture is what I'm saying of what life is all about. And then financially, you have to recover. Emotionally, you have to recover. Physically, some of us just eat too much. So have to get physically fit and then mentally in a right uh, process of thinking about how can I grow my life even in relationship to this troubling time that I've been through. And that might mean a change of jobs. It might mean doing something that you've always wanted to do and didn't do before, opening up a new uh, area of your life. So beginning again is basically, you know, trying to start over, uh, not go back, not not act like you're in high school. And I've seen that, too. Uh, it's interesting to note that a lot of people who get divorced, the first thing they do is go back to the people that they dated in high school and see if they're available. So because they felt secure with them, they have good memories of that and they think everything's going to work out if they go back and marry someone who was in their high school with them. So a positive attitude is absolutely essential and starting to think that way and including God in your life is very important. And uh, returning to church, I know that I was so angry the first two years that, and I play at tennis, I used to play it in high school competitively and then I found a guy who uh, wanted to play and he wanted to do doubles. We started winning and all the tournaments we were in, they always had the final on Sunday morning. So it was really easy for me in my anger to say, oh, you know, I can't make it to church this week because I've got this tournament I'm playing in and we got into the finals and so I have to be there. 
it was a nice excuse, but that's all it was, is an excuse, because I didn't want to be there, because I thought I had been abandoned. But, and that's with all my theological understanding of God, that I would think that way. So I had to work through two years of that until I finally said, you know what? I can't live without God in my life. And that's when I went back to church and began to connect with people who helped me get on to a new life. Interesting. What would you like to leave with our listening audience? Well, that's a lot. We've been talking about a lot of different angles in divorce and a lot of different issues in divorce. And I think we have in the church as well as in society, society accepting it a lot quicker than the church does. But we've decided that it's a positive thing that can happen to people. And I think we need to step back from that and understand that it is a very destructive thing and better to have longer engagements and and uh, without sexual relationship and also better to have more communication and more pastoral counseling or uh, Christian counseling whatever to have a counselor look at review our, our lives so that we know what we're getting into before we do marry it is interesting that the marriage age has gone up because there have been so many divorces in the past generations that people don't are fearful of it and then that they're having children late in their 30s and it just makes life a little bit more different so i'm i'm also saying that getting well is a decision for wholeness with no regard to the state of any other party if you hang on to people or hang on to the anger in, in your life concerning a person, that will be your emotional focus for the rest of your life. And you need to step back from that and decide to get well. There is a story in John 5 where Jesus went to a blind man, or to a crippled man, and said, do you want to get well? And the guy said, I've been here for over 30 years. Why wouldn't I want to get well? But he wasn't just asking him if he wanted to be healed. He was asking him about his life and did he want to move on with his life. And so that would be uh, a very important thing that I'd say, do you really want to get well? And then wellness depends to a great deal on your willingness to be obedient to the processes of grief to achieve the goal that you really want. And that is a healing and a movement forward in your life so that you can begin again and it's interesting, Keith Miller in the, in the book, The Becomers, said this, we often choose a miserable but certain condition rather than a glorious yet uncertain future. And I think we need to choose the glorious yet uncertain future and move forward in that way. And that's kind of like when our company was bought out and we didn't know what was coming and uh, the, the phrase around the office was the devil that you know is better than the devil that you don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, and it keeps you in a status that is anticipating but never getting anything for it. So 
uh, it's not a good place to be and um, you need to release. And we talk about this in divorce recovery, releasing that anger, releasing that pent up emotion and focus on that person and moving on with your life to commit to have a better life because of your what you learn through this experience. Going back to what you were saying about wellness and about taking care of ourselves physically, uh, we have a friend who was a runner and when her husband asked for a divorce, it was, it was shocking, it was terribly painful. She stayed in bed for three days, I think she said. And then she got up and she got dressed and she started running. And she'd run three times a day if she needed. And she said during that time, she would scream out her anger. She would pray. Sometimes a friend would run with her. She also took advantage of counseling. But, and she, I can't remember how many pairs of shoes she went through. But that was what got her through that emotional trauma was the physical aspect. Um, so do you have any comments about physical activity during? Absolutely. I trauma? think you're exactly right. And I've seen other people do that. And to be active physically is really, really helpful because you have all this anger energy that you need to get rid of. And the way to do that is to exhaust yourself physically because it puts you in a better state. You're, you're driving it out in a sense of your life. And uh, it happens a little bit at a time like she was doing it. And uh, I think it's a really positive thing for people to get physically fit. And because that's also a self-image issue. And self-image is one of the key issues in a human being's life. And if it's been beat up and destroyed by the whole idea of divorce and, and the activity of it, then to begin to say, I need to make myself better and start physically getting better, emotionally be getting better and spiritually getting better is going to make a life a lot different than it was before. So focus on the whole person. Absolutely. And I, I take it in a, a circle like a pie and then cut it into about six or seven uh, slices and physical, emotional, mental, financial. That's a key ingredient because we get so in, in our society, you have to have money to exist. So if you're always stressed out about your money, then that's going to be a difficult thing to put everything. I can't, I can't get a gym membership because I don't have any money or those other kinds of things. So you have to be creative about all those things, a social life, a spiritual life, all six or seven different areas of your life that need to be addressed. And if they are, you'll have a better life afterwards. So are those equal pieces of the pie? Yeah. Well, what I like to do is put the pie there in front of them and put that one of those labels in each one of the uh, pie pieces and let them determine where they are on that. If the, if the middle of the pie is zero and the edge of the pie is 100%, you know, on a physical relation, a physical uh, part of their body, how much do they think they, where are they? 20%, 50%? Uh, 75% it's really hard to be at 100% but if they do that in each area they'll find out that there are there's one or two areas that are very low or or two or one area that's high and the rest are all low and you picture it as a wheel and a wheel must turn and if it keeps turning to that 
long piece that's the emphasis that they have and it keeps hitting, it's not able to spin. So they need to begin to work on areas that are low and they don't have to get out to 100%. They just need to be working so that the wheel will turn. And it might be a rough road for a while, but then as you continue to improve in other areas, that makes it spin better. And that's what I'm seeing about a, a life lived well is not necessarily you're at 100% in each one, but you are living in a symbiotic relationship, I guess, with all the parts so that you are moving forward. It's a great analogy. It is. It's too bad we don't have more time to pick your brain. This is a three-part question, really. We'll wrap up. One is, if individuals have questions, can they reach you? If so, how? Uh, second would be your blog, Today's Word, Daily Wisdom for the Rushed Life. How can listeners access that? And are your books available? And how can they reach those? Maybe all in the same way. Well, uh, I'll deal with them backwards here. The books are available in the sense that I just have them and I could, if someone was to email me, they could ask for beginning again or divorce or separation or, uh, well, those three for specifics. So I would send them the, the text form of it. I don't have them anymore printed, uh, given out all the ones I had printed. The second one was Today's Word, which is just T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-R-D dash Today's Word dash Richard with no apostrophe dash Richard dot blogspot dot com. And anyone can get on there. There are two key things up at the top. Uh, one is the search mechanism which allows you uh, on every today's word i have i have every book of the bible that i've worked from is there so you can choose you can search for corinthians and you'll get all the ones that have that in there uh, you can search for other words faith sorrow healing those kinds of words are all in there you can kind of think of a word and then search for it and you'll get blogs that relate to that on the right hand side you can open up the whole thing that has every today's word I've done which is 1500 of them so you can go through them on a daily basis and just just listen or, or uh, read through each one of them uh, recently I've been working on a new thing so I haven't written as many so in the last year I haven't uh, done as many as I've done before usually did averaged about 250 a year but I'm in a new I'm still writing them but I'm focused my writing a little bit more than that and your first question was can they contact me and I'll I can give you my email address address which is Richard at three words the T-H-E Madison M-A-T-T-E-S-O-N group G-R-O-U-P dot com Richard at the Madison group dot com they can email me there ask for a book booklet or uh, pose a question thanks again Yes, thank You're you. You're welcome. Have a good night. That's going to wrap up another podcast. I want to thank Richard for sharing his expertise on divorce. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you too have a story. Be sure to live it to the fullest. 
Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckylyles.com. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.